0: This episode of the Knicks Film School podcast is brought to you by our new sponsor, Oakley. When you wear Oakley, there really is more than meets the eye. Don't trust me. Try it for yourself. I've worn a lot of sunglass brands in my life, and I can assure you that Oakley is not just the best looking, but the best quality out there. Head on over to Oakley.com for more information today.
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome to my very first Benji Ritholtz live stream solo, not post game edition. It's great to be here off season mode, not responding to any specific game. No matchup coming up. We can talk finals. We will talk some finals, I'm sure, but just an opportunity for you guys to Ask me any questions you may have about anything. Anything. I got a beverage, a little glass of wine. I hope you do too. It's going to be loose. We can talk about whatever you guys want. I haven't really had the opportunity to wrap up the Nick season on any kind of platform. I, I did have a pod with John maybe last week, but we kind of talked about Mello retiring a bit more and a little bit about just like Brunson. The entity but i didn't talk about the the season so i'm going to start with just my thoughts if you'll indulge me for a bit uh, and then we'll get to all of your all of your questions but thank you for being here very excited to do this um thanks to the kfs squad to andrew and john for giving me the platform and i'm i'm excited so let's do it i'm gonna start though by talking about something that has nothing to do with the Knicks, because again this is off season this is off season mode we can talk about wide-ranging topics. as I wonder if any of you have heard of the football football club soccer Sheffield Wednesday? There was a Ted Lasso joke about them once to watch the show. Ridiculous name. They're from a town called Sheffield England, which is kind of northern no- north of what well, well north of London, Manchester, east of Manchester kind of the rust belt of england if you will and they're kind of a historic club they've been around for a hundred something years they were in the top english league they won a couple championships since like 1900 it's like beautiful kit blue and white vertical stripes that looks all legit their stadium hillsborough is a big stadium and the only reason i really know about them is because i happen. my father-in-law happens to be from sheffield and His family were Sheffield Wednesday supporters. And so I kind of took it on. Now, the funny thing about Sheffield Wednesday, you have to understand, is that they're not in the Premier League right now. And this season, they weren't even in the championship, which is the second league. Now, you might know this about English soccer or generally soccer leagues around the world. There's promotion and relegation. If you're bottom, depends on which league you're in, but bottom two or three in your league, you get demoted to another league. In the NBA terms, you'd be demoted to the G League and the top G League teams would be promoted. Now, this goes down like five, six, seven levels in English soccer. So Sheffield Wednesday, historic team, historic club, a lot of great history. They're not in the second division this year. They're in the third division called League One. Now, it's not League One. It's really League Three. Why the hell am I talking about this? Well... You might have noticed and might have seen somewhere on social media that they just had one of the most incredible comebacks in the history of world football. They were down. They were basically the top two teams in their league one get promoted automatically. And then three through six have a playoff to determine the third team that would get promoted. Now Sheffield Wednesday was in the lead. They had the one seed for a very long time. They choked it away. They ended up at the three had to go through a playoff. In the first leg of the playoff, it's two legs. You play two games and total score moves on to the championship. They were down 4-0. It was a disaster. They were out. Second leg, barely anybody even wanted to watch because it was almost meaningless. They score four goals, one of which at the very end of extra time to tie the game, they win in penalty kicks, and they ended up winning in the last minute in the actual finals to get promoted. Why the heck am I talking about this? I haven't even gotten there yet. You should have seen the scene. Now I'm watching cuz I'm like randomly a Sheffield Wednesday supporter and I've kind of I'm all in. So I love it. I love watching it. It's amazing. You guys should watch the highlights because the scene from the Sheffield Wednesday supporters, you would have thought they won the Champions League. It was a madhouse. This is the third division of football of English football. They just got promoted to second division. And they celebrated as hard and as loudly as any championship winner of the NBA that you've ever seen. It was incredible. And the very tangential reason that I'm speaking about this at all is because that is, to me, what sports is all about. It's about stakes. And you create your own stakes. And because this was so important, because this was the stakes in front of them, no matter how far down the table of English soccer they are, there are 20 teams in Premier League, 20 teams in the championship. That makes them the 43rd best league and best team in England. Congratulations. And yet they, they acted like they were first. Their fans were unbelievable. The players were euphoric after the win. There was a parade today in Sheffield. A parade for the third seed that got promoted to the second division of English football. And I had This had me reflecting on the Knicks because it's amazing how quickly our perspective shifts based on the stakes in front of us. The goalposts move so quickly and especially in the NBA where we've created this championship or bust culture, it's hard almost to enjoy the ride of a team that doesn't necessarily have that level of hope. And it's always about well, how do they get there? And this Nick season, as I'm reflecting on it, the Cleveland series was, for me, like I was I did the post game with John after they won the series. We were emotional. It's been a long time since you could feel that proud about a New York Nick team. from where they came from, the struggles they went through, that was an incredible performance, and now we're so quick to dismiss Cleveland as some kind of some kind of roadkill. Well, the Knicks made them into roadkill. That was a very good basketball team that obviously has a ton of potential. And if that was a different matchup, I don't think Cleveland goes down that easy. I think the Knicks played great in a playoff series. Proof of concept. The guys that performed against a team with a lot of talent on both sides of the ball. Okay, so now we, we do that. By the way, I, I skipped a step. How many games did you win in the regular season? After the Josh Hart trade, this is one of the best teams in basketball. That's tremendous success. I don't think any of us had them winning. What did they win? 49 games, 40, whatever, 45 games, whatever it was. No, none of us thought that was going to happen. They exceed expectations in the regular season. They d- dominate a team that was seated higher than them and favored it in the series. Dominated them. Disposed of them. Okay, now you get to Miami. Now you get to Miami and now the stakes increase and had they won the Miami series, we would be all the more so like euphoric, but what can happen is that the Miami series going to six, and by the way, now it doesn't look so bad, does it? The Miami series going to six, the Knicks played really hard. They were in basically every game, couple shots go, who knows? The Heat outplayed them, but it wasn't like a domination. And we're so quick all of a sudden to just dismiss everything that happened before. That's, that's perverting the stakes in a very weird way that deprives us of the joy of a journey of a season. Like if Sheffield Wednesday fans, all they were saying was, well, this is the third division. Well, then they're not going to have a lot of fun, are they? And it's healthy, of course. And as analysts, certainly we at KFS, and as fans and educated fans, the educated fans that KFS has, of course, we should be thinking now once the page turns, well, what went wrong and how do we improve it? And how do we get to that place, both through development, through strategic changes and through outside players that we should acquire? Sheffield Wednesday is going to have those questions. Now they're up to a second level. They don't want to get demoted again. Of course, those questions come into play. But they can't dominate the conversation while we're going through it. I'm not presuming to tell anyone how to feel or root for their team. But I am suggesting is if you want to have fun rooting for your team, try to enjoy the journey. When the stakes are there and they're real and they're pushing against another level, it's not a championship level, but they're pushing up against that other level. Can they get there? And they get there. Well, you have to take stock of that and enjoy it and think that it means something And it might mean something towards the ultimate goal of creating a championship roster. So yeah, when I reflect on the season, it's a unmitigated success. It is a wonderful success. A team that jumped a level or two, won a playoff series, showed the world what they're made of proof of concept of, most of the things that they're doing, the regular season did translate to some extent. Now the offense, and I'm sure we'll talk about this and the questions will come in, maybe need some diversification. Certain players need to change their styles. Maybe certain players shouldn't be here if we want to take the next jump. All of those are fair questions to ask now where we are here in this forum. But man, if you're reflecting on the season and thought it was a total failure or came out with, it, with a negative feeling about the 2022-23 New York Knicks, I don't know. That to me is problematic. It's to me not, you're not thinking with a clear head. And we can go on an individual level. That's the team level. Tell me a player who didn't, who didn't increase his value on the New York Knicks this year. I mean, we can go through it. Jalen Brunson became a superstar. Well, that's the most important thing. Me and John talked about that on the pod. Well, you have a superstar in, in tow. Now, he may need one more player who's better than him to win a championship, but he is the real deal, a bona fide number two. You can win with Jalen Brunson. He rises to the occasion no matter how much defensive attention he's getting. I mean, geez, what an acquisition. Best free agent signing in New York Knicks history. How about that? (laughs) RJ Barrett struggled this year at the end of the season. Do I think teams look at him as having risen in value? Absolutely. With his playoff performance. Showing an increased patience and poise and better touch on his floater and in between game, finally making some shots. Yeah, that's important, but proof of concept to the Knicks fans who have been on this guy's side, no matter how he's playing. Well, you just saw a stretch against really good defenses, two top defenses in the league where he was really good. Contributing on both ends. Quentin Grimes. First year in the league, really. Ends up shooting, you know, high 30% from three and becomes a really top-notch perimeter defender in his first NBA season. Hello, that's a big deal. Now, you can, you can wonder... <laughs> He didn't make shots in the playoffs. Okay, he's a rookie. Essentially, there's a lot of growth to be had, and we we'll talk about all the all the ways that he can grow and improve. But it's right there in front of you. But it's not like this is a this is a player to to invest in, who does the things that are so valuable to a modern NBA team. Quentin Grimes is the real deal. Julius Randle. again. You come out of the season with the playoff performance despite the injuries and you say, God, this guy just can't process quickly enough to beat the best defenses. And you're not wrong. But again, reflecting backwards on the season, the stakes that were in front of him after a lost NBA season where he was booed out of town. All NBA player this year. So reliable in the regular season in terms of production. Nothing to sneeze at. Team won a lot of games, put themselves in a position to go far in the playoffs. Playoff struggles should be recognized and talked about, but again, did he rise in value this year? Absolutely. Mitchell Robinson could argue he was the MVP of the Cleveland series, won a playoff series for a team. You ever think that was going to be the case? Against a really big front line. Had his struggles against Miami. There's what to work on. (laughs) I think a center like him might not be able to play 35 to 40 minutes in a playoff series game to game. It's just he's a little bit too limited. He's never going to have a shot. Question how versatile he is defensively or is he more of just a rim protector? Okay, maybe it's more matchup dependent, but did he rise in value? Maybe the best offensive rebounder in basketball this year when Steven Adams went out. Yeah, big time. This contract ended up being a really good deal for the Knicks. So one that I questioned when it was signed. We can go down the line quickly, obviously. Almost won six-man of the year. Could have, should have. Didn't perform in the playoffs. What do we need to work on? Okay, but looking back, what a success. Put his name on the map. Going to get a lot of money from someone. Hopefully the Knicks. Deuce McBride proved himself as a viable rotation piece. Certainly a situational one. Isaiah Hartenstein, one of the best backup bigs in the league in the second half of the year into the playoffs, was phenomenal. Obi Toppin had some flashes in the playoffs that were like, oh, maybe this guy's the real deal. Maybe some team is going to invest in him where the Knicks don't, can't, won't, something to talk about. But again, value. So many pieces the Knicks developed and improved. So yeah, I look at it as an unabashed success. Unabashed success. Tremendous season for the Knicks. I enjoyed every every moment of it. The heat series was frustrating. Obvious lessons to be learned that we'll talk about throughout the offseason into next season. But uh, I did want to just speak about that. Like, we have to be intelligent about the way we think about this team. Like, if we want to have informed opinions about it, and if you're having any kind of perspective about it and not moving the goalposts across the field, this was a tremendous season, fulfilling season for the New York
2: Knicks.
1: I will take any questions you guys have about what I just said, about not what I just said, about anything in the whole wide world. I'm ready. So, Justin, you can put up the questions when we're ready. <laughs> Here's Hamdi. Thank you so much for the contribution, Hamdi. This is awesome. We appreciate it. Sorry, won't be around. So I wanted to get my question in. Wow, an absentee ballot cast for Hamdi. I love it. I want to ask about tips. I like the stability he brings to this team. What are the areas you think he needs to improve in? And what does he need to keep doing? God, that is such a great question. I could talk about this for a very long time. (sighs) Unquestionably bring stability to the team. (laughs) And I think there's an argument to be made that the stability, which sometimes borders on stubbornness, is very valuable for a team in this stage that the Knicks are currently in maybe the most valuable thing. Because this team, more than maybe any other that I've ever watched, knew exactly what they were, and it was in the coach's image. Smash mouth, physical basketball. Win the possession battle. It was never pretty, but it was effective, brutally effective basketball. And I think that he pretty much like this, this was a pretty much a maxed out regular season for the Knicks in terms of wins and losses. I think he got them as far as the talent could have pushed. You can't tell me this was a top four seed getting the five seed and getting that five seed allows them to play the Cleveland team that they were best matched up with. (laughs) Gave them a chance to play Miami, almost got it to six games. Nothing to sneeze at. That regular season stability, the foundation that he pours in every season, the habits he hammers in, like that stuff makes this a. And the fact that he has them playing harder than your average regular season team night to night to night to night, which he always does, nothing to sneeze at. Big deal. Now, when you get to the playoffs, when you get to the playoffs, And especially as we get higher and higher. Now, I do think he made some adjustments in the Cleveland series that were smart adjustments. (laughs) I think he was a better coach than J.B. Bickerstaff. Shouldn't sneeze at that. That's a big deal. But when he got to the Spolster series and a different type of animal, and I think his stability, which borders on stubbornness, sometimes manifests as stubbornness, constricts the team and what they're able to do. And that's where I think the improvement needs to come for tips. Now you can't sacrifice the foundation of the stability. This team's not at a place yet. We'll see what they do in the off season where they can experiment much in the regular season. Like there's no time for that. You have to maximize your wins. You know, you have proof of concept now that if we play this way, we're going to win a lot of games. So you can't sacrifice it too much, but there's a balance to be had. Well, what does it look like if Julius Randall plays the five sometimes? Because I think the Knicks could have gotten away with that against Miami and maybe loosened up the the court for Brunson and for Julius on the offensive end. I know it's going to look bad sometimes. What can we throw in to make it work? Can we be really switchable? Can we play some zone? How do we make that lineup viable defensively so that it can be a weapon for us in the playoffs? I think that's a question he has to ask himself. Just the way the roster is, it has to be. Because if you're going to play Mitchell Robinson and Isaiah Hartenstein 48 minutes, it's going to be hard to space the floor. I think he has to look at that scheme versatility, just generally. Don't you know? And I, and I do think Tibbs changed that this year. I think that was a big improvement. There was less just standard drop defense. There was more blitzing, especially from Hartenstein at the point of attack. But even more, like I think this team can do some things defensively. Weaponize Julius Randle as a switcher which we did more and more as the season went on. Can Mitchell Robinson get more versatile and blitz a little bit and switch a little bit, play around with this stuff, see how it works in a way that's not going to hurt you enough to lose regular season games. It's a balance, but I think one that he has to strike and then, and then most importantly, diversify the offense. You have weapons other than isolation ball. Julius Randle needs to catch on the move. Draw up plays where he's not stationary. Isaiah Hartenstein, when he's on the floor, can run stuff from the elbows. Julius Randle can run stuff from the elbows. It doesn't all have to be initiated from the three-point line. Can we run some stuff for Quentin Grimes as a shooter? We We had an Evan Fournier playbook, if you remember from from last season, which was effective at times between Julius and Fournier two-man. They ran some nice sets for Fournier to get shots from the top of the key. Can we build that into the Quentin Grimes playbook now? He's ready. Right? So just diversifying the offense, I think is the number one thing for me that he needs to improve. And I don't think it's going to hurt the regular season. If anything, I think it'll improve it because there are times we all know, even though the offense finished great, sometimes down the stretch, the team struggled to generate offense because there's just not much to go to other than Brunson isolation, which is darn effective, but you're just, you have a very hard ceiling. If you're not going to, have some other things to go to when you need it. <laughs> Great question, Hamdi. Thanks. Hamdi, another one. Give me a sec. I, I'm a little congested, so you'll excuse my uh, nose blowing, nasalness, needing a drink. <clears throat> sorry, one more, says Hamdi. Don't be sorry. We appreciate it. Do you think more teams will be playing zone <sighs> based on Miami's success? Yes. I do. It's a copycat league. Um, So, yeah, I do think more teams will be playing zone. Um, It's funny because I thought the Knicks played great against the zone. They basically broke Miami out of the zone. Uh, But the Celtics really didn't. (laughs) They really struggled, which is funny because you consider usually you think of shooting as beating a zone. The Knicks actually, as the year went on, got a lot better at it. And I said before the series, I said, I don't think the zone is going to be like a big deal in this series. And it was not. Um, But I do think as offenses continue to get better and the rules allow them to get better and the player development gets better and all that. um, And obviously it was at a historical rate this year, the offense and points per possession. (laughs) I think teams are more and more going to find ways to muck it up like a standard man. Defense obviously isn't working for most of the teams around the league. Teams are scoring at crazy rates. So I actually heard Duncan Robinson talking about it today on, um, on JJ Reddick's pod. JJ basically asked him like, what are the rules of your zone? And he said, there aren't really rules. Like it's more of a change of pace to slow these offenses down and we'll extend it out. Like you remember Miami was, would press and then drop into their zone the idea being less to force turnovers, although they did that a bit against some careless Nick's ball handling, but it was more just to take time off the shot clock, right? Utilize those 24 seconds it's, as a weapon. You only have 24 to score. Well, if you start your offense with 12 left instead of 16 left, you have less options, less of a less of chance to less time to create advantages, right? So I think you will see more antics like that, full court pressure, zone, anything to confuse, make force hesitation. Um, and try to slow down these offenses that have become so potent. Uh, I absolutely do think that you will see more of it. Thanks, Hamdi. Robert Cross, my dear, dear friend, psychic predictor of win number. Unbelievable, Robert Cross. Speaking of proof of concept. Thank you for the contribution, Robert. Big Thread Benjamin made it to the big time IC. Congrats. Yes, indeed. Thank you, Robert. Are you in Camp Julius or Camp RJ? Tell me who and why you're welcome. You know that that is not a question that I believe in, that I will answer. That's the type of non-nuanced question that I try. I try to weed out of the KFS discourse at the very least. Um, Now that said, I I think maybe what your question is, is really asking is, can this team become where go where they do want to go um, with both of these guys? Um, I don't think the answer is no. I think it's probably unlikely. If I had to predict, I would say one of them is gone when this team rises to the top. And if you were to ask me who I would rather have, or who I think is more likely to be on a team that's successful in that way, it's probably RJ. Because there's will always be a part of me who just doesn't think Randall is a is a winning ball player. Um, just the lapses and the processing issues and the volatility, the inconsistency, um, and the positional constrictions he puts on your team if he can't play the five. Now, again, I just said, I think he should try. I think Tibbs should give it a whirl. But if it doesn't work, well, then it's really hard to play a four that's almost sized like a five, can't really keep up with guards. You don't see a lot of teams with kind of traditional fours anymore that that win. Um, And for all those reasons, like RJ being more of a classic wing just makes more sense to me, but there are no rules. You could win in a lot of different ways. I don't think it's for sure the case that Julius and RJ together can't win. Um, but if you're asking me which of them I think is more of an easy fit on a championship roster and the version of the Knicks that is going to go to the championship, I'd probably say RJ. I'd probably say RJ and that's why. Thanks, Robert. Another one from Robert. Now for a softball BTV. Can you do blame pie for the Knicks Miami series? (laughs) Inquiring minds want to know. Oh man. Um, I'm giving Miami 50% of the blame pie right away. Respect your opponent. That team is really good. They made the finals. They beat the Celtics. Um, yeah. So let's go start there. 50% Miami. That makes it easier now to calculate. <sighs> I don't know. 15% Randall. Who was the worst player for them. D- damaging on both sides of the ball. Very little offensive flow, very few parts of any of the series where I felt like he really was making an impact, a positive impact. Um, Let's give him 20. So I guess it's a 70. Um, Let's give Mitchell Robinson. I don't know. This is a silly game. Mitchell Robinson 10 because I thought his spacing hurt. I didn't think he was on point defensively the whole series. Um, quickly got hurt. Uh, so I don't know. Split, spread 5% around everyone else other than Jalen Brunson and called it a day. I hope he got to 100. Um, I don't think that's really how you assess blame in the playoffs. I don't think it's a pie, but I did my best, Robert. I hope you're proud of me. Um, thanks for the contribution and the question, as always, my friend. Dan Hidalgo. What's up, Dan Benji. Why not trade into the top 10, get a cost controlled Taylor Hendricks and incubate what's left of the core. Mm. It's a packed question, Dan. One that I'm, I honestly am maybe a little bit ill-equipped to answer both. Cause I don't really, frankly know who Taylor Hendricks is. My draft research has not begun and maybe never will. Um, that I leave that to my friend Chris at KFS and to all the other great accounts and people who break down the draft. Once the Knicks take a, make, take someone, if they take anyone, I will break that player down. I'll dive into the film. Um, it's just kind of beyond my, uh, my scope and what I'm able to do and put time into. Um, the concept I can speak to a little bit. I mean, I'm, I'm not positive. I know what you mean by incubate, what's left of the core and who you're trading to get into the top 10. Obviously, all those questions play in. I'm frankly less concerned with like resetting the timeline here. And maybe that means getting off of OB quickly or Grimes, who are are either extension eligible or are about to be extension eligible. So that you kind of reset with a cross controlled rookie. To me, you have players who have value. Now it's about paying the ones you think should stay and moving the ones you think can bring back something even better. Um, That to me is more the calculation. I know Jeremy's spoken to this a lot. Um, Not that it's unimportant to have a draft pick, but the Knicks have a plethora of young pieces who have value in the league, I think. And with all their draft picks, I think can turn that into something even more valuable than a Taylor Hendricks, who again, may be a 12-time All-Star, but I don't know, so I can't speak to it then. So I apologize for my limitation of knowledge, but I hope that I contributed a bit. Um, Thank you for the question. XJ, I love Benji. No further questions. <laughs> I love you too, XJ. Um, Man, while I have a minute, this is my platform. Who's here? No one's with me. I can speak however I want. Um, KFS, Knicks Film School, grew incredibly this season. In no small part, because the Knicks were good and interesting to talk about. That helps. Um, but also because... We brought on some incredible individuals who have added knowledge, different perspectives, intelligence, humor. Um, I think you guys have all seen it Um, with the casual fellows, of course, Justin, who's producing this, who's done an amazing job. Um, The whole crew, uh, we just more than I guess doubled our personnel. Um, that's thanks to of course you guys and all the, the the patrons and followers out there who who consume our work and who pay for our work and who enjoy our work and who rate and review and all that good stuff. But like we were able to bring on such great people, including of course XJ, who's brilliant in his own right, um, and who's just an awesome dude. Um so thank you all for that. I'm very proud, very, 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 very proud to be part of this team. Um I wouldn't do this if I wasn't it like, it drives me like the growth of this thing. And, um, it's just amazing to be a part of, so thank you. Actually. I love you too. We'll speak soon, brother. Oh, next film school. Macri here. I don't believe this is Macri Benji. Why are you so amazing? Seriously though, did analyzing basketball always come so naturally to you, or is it something you had to work on over time? This sounds like Claudio is Nick's film school acting as Macri. I don't know if this is actually Macri. However, um, I guess I'll answer the question. I don't know what comes naturally or doesn't. I mean, I um, I played ball my whole life. I was pretty good at it. Um, I was always a pretty cerebral player, I think, and like was a captain on whatever levels that I was because. I guess, both from like a leadership perspective, but also, I think I fought the game at a pretty high level. So I guess that's natural in a sense. Um, but it really changed. I had an amazing privilege of like playing for amazing coaches. Um, starting like in high school, I played for Elliot Steinmetz, who's now the coach of Yeshiva and who has had incredible success and changed the whole program. But he also coached me in high school. And gave me a ton of confidence and obviously taught me a lot. And then going to college, Coach Johnny Halpert, who was there for 40-plus years and was like, learned from, like, Luke Hanaseko, like a total giant in the game. New X's and O's, especially on the offensive side, better than anybody I know. Um, ran a very unique offense that taught me a lot about moving off the ball and what that creates. And um was a tremendous influence on me. So I had the privilege of playing for him. And then my senior year, Elliot, who was my high school coach, became my college coach. And then learning from him on a whole new level, where what he had picked up in the intervening years. And um, That was a tremendous privilege. And then I got to coach with him for 2 years. We won our first conference and had a lot of success. And that's when I really started breaking down film. Because I literally did film breakdowns for our team, both internally, like breaking down our own games and what we're doing wrong and need to do better. And then opponent scouting, which I did even after I stopped coaching, I did for the team. So just like you're watching a ton of film, you're learning from really smart people, you're talking to really smart basketball people, and you're just in it all the time. And so um, that's kind of where all the learning came from and all the whatever development or skill that I have that I have now all kind of stems from those influences. and that experience. So there you go. There's my story. Thanks. Nick's film school, Macri, maybe Claudio ghost dog, LT. What's up ghost dog. It was an excellent season. When does Rokas come into play and how do you think the front office will use his value? Oh man. I don't know when Rokas comes into play. If Rokas comes into play, I don't know how much value he has. I have to tell you, like, I just don't know. I, I, I learned it. I learned not to. Uh, it's a big deal to say when you don't know things. I don't know the answer to this question. I, like I just, I'm not tuned in enough on like international players' value and whether or not he has that value and whether what the Knicks' plans are. Like I, I've seen some tape and watched some film on him. There's an interesting skill set there for sure. If they choose to bring him in, I don't know where he'd play on this Knicks team because we're guard heavy and we're small guard heavy. So it would require some moving around. Like you can't just insert him into the rotation without moving another one of the guards out of it. Right. So I don't know. Um, and then if they do tra- trade his rights, I just don't know the value well enough. I don't, I don't know. I don't have a sense, but um, it'll be interesting to monitor. That's for sure. Um sorry for, <laughs> for the maybe lack of an answer, but thank you for the question Ghost dog. Drew P. What's up, Drew? We were injured and made the second round. Another year of development that would have beaten that would have beaten Miami outside a top five-ish player they shouldn't trade for one. Oh, another year of development they would have been, I see. Maybe. Um, look, they, they took him to six. Almost won game six. Not crazy. <laughs> Man, I mean, you can make the argument you know, a fully healthy Julius Brunson, Mitch, who I all think were banged up. I mean, I know that Jimmy was banged up, too. And I know that Tyler Hero wasn't there. So, you know, the injury game is what it is. Um, It's too hard to analyze. We don't know. We're not in that training team. We don't know how injured guys are and how limited they are. Um, we can just analyze what's on the floor. On the floor, the Heat were better, but the Knicks weren't all that far away. Miami did not score easily against the Knicks. That's for sure. And the Knicks just could not score enough points. Could not generate enough offense outside of Jalen Brunson to win the series. I think it's kind of that simple, right? Um, Another year of development, both from a personnel perspective, as well as a coaching perspective, like you talked about earlier, I think they absolutely could have beaten Miami. And as to your point of outside a top five-ish player, they shouldn't trade for one. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want Carl Anthony Towns or Zach Levine or, you know, it always depends on the package, always depends on the package. But from what I understand, the packages will be um, good. I think patience is a virtue. I think we see it with both these finals teams. I think patience is a virtue. You can't have unlimited patience. When the right opportunity comes, you strike. The Knicks are certainly ready to do that. But... I'd be very weary and careful about disrupting this for somebody who hasn't won consistently in the league, who hasn't impacted winning consistently in the league. Because one thing the Knicks did this year is they won. Um, And you're betting a lot on those guys, which I would be very weary of if I'm the Knicks front office. Thank you, Drew. Andrew P., when is it ever the right time to level up at head coach? <laughs> it's a great question. I don't think there's any science to it. Um, and You could argue that any time is the right time, but you also have to think about who who is the coach you're leveling up to and is it a level up? Now, there happen to have been coaches on the market this season that maybe you could have... Easily made the argument. Um, championship winning coaches, two of them, in Bud and Nurse. Monty Williams has been in a championship. This was like an unprecedented coaching, firing season. <laughs> um, and so, look, you could argue they should have gone after one of those guys now. There's no rule to it. You know, you look at like the Warriors had a championship level roster. Obviously, Mark Jackson's style wasn't quite optimizing that talent and you brought in Steve Kerr and all of a sudden you became a champion first year. That's obviously the perfect example. We're leveling up at the right time. Now, do you think the Knicks have that kind of talent right now that they could elevate that way with the perfect innovative coach who we don't really know who that is right now? Maybe. I don't think so. I still think that where this team is at, the stability that Tibbs provides is extraordinarily valuable. And, and I should add Mike Budenholzer, I know he's been fired now, won a championship despite being having a similar reputation to Tibbs in some ways as a rigid stability bringer, if you will. They gave him an extra year. He did add some variability, some, some diversity to his offense and defense, his scheme. He loosened up a bit but with a team that he knew was a contender and they won the championship. So I'd like to give Tibbs that opportunity. But I don't think the Knicks are even at that level yet. Now, if they acquire Joel Embiid this offseason or whatever, then okay, now we're now we're talking. And I'd still like to give Tibbs a year to figure that out because uh, I think he's earned it. And I think again, there's just like a a certain regular season floor that he raises. He's proven it wherever he is. So I don't know. It's a, it's not an easy question to answer. It depends on who the coaches that you're getting. It depends on who the coaches that you're firing. Are you truly leveling up, as you put it, Jandrew? Um, what's the talent that you have? How sure are you that you can be a top X seed to make your path to the championship that much easier? This year's Miami Heat being the exception, of course, generally, it's going to come from a top seed. Well, I don't think the Knicks are at a place where no matter how they play in the regular season, they're going to be a top four seed. I just don't. Um, So I think there's still a ton of value in what Tibbs provides. And I want to give Tibbs the opportunity to find, reach his potential as a coach. Coaches grow too, even though they're old and boomers. Thanks, Andrew.
0: Not every billionaire has the stamina, the dedication, or the fire to become the most unpopular owner in sports. But not everyone is James Dolan, the owner of the New York Knicks. This is Reign of Error, a new podcast series that gives you a courtside seat for the controversies, scandals, and drama that seems to follow the infamous billionaire. Track Dolan's rise from aspiring musician to the throne of one of the most beloved franchises in sports. Along the way, he'll battle his own players, fans, celebrities, the New York media, politicians, even the Girl Scouts. Reign of Error unpacks the outlandish story over five riveting episodes, detailing how Dolan. Dolan became a lightning rod of criticism in his quest to outdo his billionaire father, while also asking the $6 billion question, why doesn't he just sell the team? Check out Reign of Error wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. This episode of the Knicks Film School podcast is brought to you by our new sponsor, Oakley. When you wear Oakley, there really is more than meets the eye. Don't trust me? Try it for yourself. I've worn a lot of sunglass brands in my life, and I can assure you that Oakley is not just the best looking, but the best quality out there. Head on over to oakley.com
1: for more information today. Jessica. Hey, Jessica. How are you? No amount of compliments could describe the blessing you have been to KFS and to all of us. I feel I learn something from you every time I hear you speak. Thank you, Jessica. That's very kind. Um, And I appreciate it. What do you expect to see in Denver versus Miami? Yes! The finals! Ah! Can't wait to watch this series. Cannot wait to watch this series. Um, What do I expect to see? So if you're asking to make a prediction, I have Denver in six. Um... What am I going to see? What are the things I'm looking for kind of schematically? Obviously, the first thing is how does Miami guard Jokic? Because I don't think they're just going to let Bam guard him one-on-one very often. If they learn anything from the Lakers, they're going to try to find someone who they can stick on Jokic and allow Bam to kind of help off of Aaron Gordon. Now, Bam's not Anthony Davis in terms of like being a roamer and a deterrent in that sense, but he can certainly be very effective in that role. And kind of muck things up a little bit for, to, for Denver. So I do expect that. I expect Bam will guard him some, but I would expect maybe Kevin Love. Maybe Jimmy Butler. the way LeBron guarded uh, Jokic at times. Some Caleb Martin. They'll do some switching. They're not going like, to play any kind of standard defense on this Denver team that's ripped everybody up on the offensive end. So how does Miami scheme? And like let's see Spolster just be Spolster. Like, what's he going to throw at this Denver team? Like, who knows? Triangle and two, like, who I don't know what they're going to do. Um, but it should be really interesting to watch, just like how they scheme for, for, for Jokic. <laughs> um, does Butler guard Murray a lot is an interesting question. I think Caleb Martin will guard Murray a ton. Even Vincent, I think, will get some time on Murray. But I feel like if you have Butler guarding Murray and you can now switch, if Bam's guarding Jokic, you can basically switch that Murray-Jokic two-man game. That's interesting to me. And it's probably something they'll go to if Jimmy's healthy and not too exhausted, but that definitely interests me. Um, On the other side of the ball, what is Jokic doing defensively is always the most interesting question. Now, in some ways, Denver lucked out because they didn't have to play golden state and they don't have to play Boston, both of whom shoot a ton of threes and especially off the dribble, threes, pull up threes, whereas, which is where Jokic like might struggle to contain. Now, Jimmy's a different kind of player where I think Jokic in in on Jimmy's pick and rolls he can drop if he's guarding Bam. Um on the shooters he'll, he's pretty comfortable blitzing out and like having Porter and Gordon recovering behind. That's kind of really why I feel like it's Denver series to lose is because the things that Miami does well on offense that are don't correspond to the things that Denver does poorly defensively. Like Denver's going to rebound the ball you're not really spreading Jokic out and forcing him to guard in pick and roll in the traditional sense that really usually hurts Denver because Miami doesn't have those ball handlers. Now, Tyler Hero is the closest thing they have to those ball handlers. And when he comes to the series and how and how effective he is, is going to be an interesting question, too. And I think they're going to need him. I do think they're going to need him. Um, but I'm not counting Miami out either just because they're freaking just tough and good. And well coached. So we'll see. But that's all. Those are kind of the main things I'm looking for, Jessica, in this championship. Thank you so much for the kind words and for the contribution. All right. That was the last super chat. Cool. Well, this was great. We're at, I don't know, 48 minutes. I'm happy to answer some chats, Justin. I don't know. Some interesting chats you saw. People wondering about Sheffield Wednesday. Who are they? I don't know. Darren Hood. What's up, Darren? Scott Perry replacements. Uh, Based on our own Chris Prusianin, sounds like the replacement's already in-house. I think it's going to be Rosas, um, is what it seems like anyway, or what Chris was, I think, implying. I don't think they're going to bring anyone else from the outside. They have a lot of voices in that front office already. So my sense, based on people smarter than me and the KFS crew who are kind of tuned in and understand the front office better, is that it'll be an internal hire. Thanks, Darren. Andre Walker, do you think we should run it back with adding more wing shooting and length to the starting lineup and bench? And if we do, what free agents do you think we should add? It's a great question, Andre. I'm kind of like, I'm okay if they run it back. Because there's a lot of internal development to be had. Like I think Quentin Grimes most specifically has the most obvious path to a breakout year. You could argue IQ already had his breakout year, but there are things that he can get better at, including just shooting the ball better. What we just saw from RJ, can that playoff RJ translate into regular season RJ? Well, now you're talking about a different player and, and a different kind of impact. Um, and then Brunson's just Brunson. So I, I'm not, I'm okay running it back to answer your first question. They're going to sign Josh Hart. You have plenty of depth. Um, now, do you need more shooting? In the playoffs, you do. Now, the Knicks didn't need the shooting to succeed in the regular season. That's the thing, right? Like, they had the third best offense in the league because they, even though they threw up a ton of bricks, because they rebounded their own misses a lot and they didn't turn the ball over, they went to the free throw line. And there's no reason to think they can't do that again, right? So, I, I don't know. I, 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 who are the free agents out there that are kind of interesting to me? Maybe DiVincenzo who obviously the Villanova connection, but also I know he hasn't always shot it well, but I think is a credible three-point shooter and is fits right in, in terms of that rebounding toughness, gives you some more length and size on the wing. Interesting option to me. Um, That's kind of the one that jumps out, Andre. Thank you for the, for the question. Appreciate it, man. 19 con mad Benji. Do you see Jeremy Grant fitting on this roster and is 30 million a lot for him. And he does not fit on this roster. If Julius Randle's on it, that is for sure. Um, no, I don't really see it. I don't really see it. Cause he, I know he shot the ball well, but like, he's not, he is not a real shooter. I don't think he has real shooting gravity. He doesn't make decision. Like they need more decision makers, more quicker thinkers. Like I, I don't think he, I actually think he's the type of player they should avoid. It's like another high usage non-playmaking or quick decision making three to four. Not not the guy I think we need, but thank you for the question. Hey, Flava phrase thanks for the contribution, man. Better offseason. KP for Randall or RJ for Hadanobi. Those are both interesting trades. Um I will say I, I KP fit wise is very interesting to me. You add his shooting and stretchiness and ability to play the four or the five. The issue with KP is just reliability. And you know what the issue isn't for Julius Randall? Availability. Like, how many games are you getting out of KP? So, I... I, Again, as I said, I, 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 I have more faith in RJ becoming a winning... Player than Randall becoming one, or I mean, like a championship living, championship winning player. But when you lay it out like this, like OG Ananobi, I think provides the availability, the skill. I know he's been hurt actually a bit of late, so maybe that's not really true. But there's a certain skill set that he provides that I think really helps this team as a four, a three-four who can shoot a little bit, and obviously gives you just that ridiculously high-level defender. And a little bit less of usage than RJ. So I'd probably go that that avenue if it's a choice like that. The way you framed it. Thanks, Flava. Andrew P. Thanks for the contribution again. Ryan Terrell shot at NBA in touch with him. Um, for those who don't know, Ryan Terrell uh, played at Yeshiva a couple of years ago. And then uh, was the best player to ever play at Yeshiva. And then was drafted into the G League by the Motor City Crews and played out there last year. Uh, and had an okay season. He was a yeah, got consistent minutes off the bench. Um, I think I think Ryan's got an MBA level shot, and he has MBA level footwork. He has unique unique footwork in the mid range and post. Now the question for him is like going to be like, well, d- will you ever get an opportunity to to display that footwork? like the path for him seems to just be like a Duncan Robinson kind of path, which, you know, is like just a, a movement shooter, but his best skill is like, throw him the ball in the mid post. Cause he's really, really good there. Um, so look, I'm not counting him out. He's in this very special kid. Uh, I'm not really in touch with him so much, but, um, certainly keep tabs on him and, and talk to coach a lot about him. And I know he was encouraged by the year, uh, that he had and is hoping to kind of upgrade it and improve going to next year. I, I wouldn't count him out of getting a taste of the NBA. No. Thanks, Andrew. Ben Kim. What's up, Ben? Kim Gurvey. Who is your secret target for us to acquire? Who is your crush? I already kind of spoke to this being uh DiVincenzo. I really like that guy as a player. Um I don't really have anyone else like on this free agent market that I'm like dying to have. Um so sorry, I don't have much more to add up to that one, Ben. But thank you for the question. And thanks for all your support. Always. Drippy, uh, Could you see the front office targeting? Miles Turner Stretch the floor and good rim protection, but offensive rebounding goes down the toilet. Well, look, I mean, Miles Turner was a rumor for the, to the Knicks for, it has been for two, three years. Now I actually did a thread on him um, two years ago, like a very in depth, like 25 part thread on like what he'd bring. Uh, I think he's a really good player, but I think I think Indiana's found a lot of value now there. like I don't think they're looking to move him anymore. There was a time where he was on the block when he was playing with Sabonis and kind of forced to just be like a stretch center. But now he gets, gets to actually play like pick and roll and pick and pop and be in the lane, and he's one of the best shot blockers in the league. Um, he's really good. I don't see really them targeting him as... I don't think that's the type of player they're really looking for. Um, I think they're happy probably with their center rotation. To me, it's more of a question of being a little bit more dynamic in your lineup construction so that you can have a spacing big out there. Now, maybe you could say Miles Turner solves that problem on his own because he stretches. I think teams are kind of happy that when he shoots threes though, so I'm not really sure if the spacing is a reality. Um, I don't think it's a the player they're targeting. I certainly wouldn't be upset if it's a the player they went and got in the right deal. He's really good. And he provides and something the Knicks don't really have in kind of that stretch center, assuming Isaiah Hartenstein doesn't develop that, which I hope he does, because he showed a flash of it last year. I'll take one more here, Justin, and then uh, we'll call it an hour and a night. What's up, Brian? Ryan. Does the CBA change the Knicks plans? Do you think some teams will try to go one, get one superstar and just build around one instead of two or three? It's a great question. Um, It's a question more equipped for Jeremy and John than for me. Um, But from my understanding of it, um, I think it's going to depend on the ownership. I mean, there are teams who are probably just going to be willing to spend just like now, right? It just kind of changes the threshold. It's more penal. And obviously it's, it, it once you start targeting draft picks, it's just like a different kind of element to the to the penalty. And yet I think there will be teams with the right owners there and has enough money that are just going to be willing to go for it. Um and so I could still just I could still see teams building around one, two, or three superstars, depending on the team. Does it change the Knicks plans? Man, it might accelerate the Knicks plans. It might because you have Brunson on this bargain deal for two more years and then he's probably going to get a max. Randall's on a descending deal. RJ's on a descending deal. You don't yet have to play, right? Quickly's extension won't kick in for another two uh, until after after next season. And Quentin Grimes, you're on the the front of the two, right? So all those paydays are coming where you're going to creep up towards that apron and be penalized for it. And I guess the question is, does it accelerate? time time it might it might accelerate the timeline which i hope doesn't translate into the wrong move this offseason um you have to hope that the right superstar comes on the market in the next two years so you can cash in and let go let brunson go for it one time with this whoever that player is before he gets his max deal right um so it's a great question and um we'll see but i do think it impacts the decision making to some extent yeah depending on what dolan's willing to do um All right. Well, that's it, guys. This was a lot of fun. Go... You know what? Man, I wish I could put something... I'm going to... I'll tweet it out. I'll tweet it out. Um, Sheffield Wednesday. Go check out the highlights and that atmosphere for, again, third division soccer. We create our own stakes, people. Enjoy the game. Enjoy every milestone, every, every hill you climb because... That's what it's about. That's the journey. It's basketball. It's fun on any level. Um, if you allow yourself to enjoy it and and for what it is. So that's kind of my 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 lesson. Go watch the Sheffield Wednesday highlights. Enjoy the off season. Thank you all again for all your support throughout the season. It was a blast to be a part of this community. And um, you know where to find me if you need anything. Like and subscribe. I love you, Andrew Claudio. Just want to say that. We all love you very much. Hope you're doing okay. And um, all right, peace everybody. Talk to you soon.